Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Man, are you excited to be here? Come on. It is, it is so gloomy out there that this is the best place on the planet to be. All right? Yeah. Yeah, well, welcome to all of our City Hope locations. It's great to have you guys with us, and those of you watching online, and of course, home in prison, it is so great to have everybody with us today. Um, we're in the, in the middle of a, in, of a fantastic series, uh, but before we get to that, real quick, I want to encourage you guys on just a couple of things. First off, happy Independence Day, a day late. Happy Independence Day. I hope you guys had a great day. We are blessed to live in the country that we live in, and I hope you guys had an awesome day yesterday celebrating with your families. Um, and I do want to encourage you one thing. Um, most of you know that pastor, our pastor is on sabbatical right now, and he's taking a little time um, to just for vision and for focus. Um, and so with everything that's going on in our world, he asked us as a church um, to join him in daily praying for our nation. Um, and we talked about this a little bit at First Wednesday, this past Wednesday night, and if you missed that, then just don't miss the next one. It was absolutely incredible. Um, but we talked about it just briefly, and I want to encourage you here as well, um, all of our locations, all of our campuses, let's, let's every single day, let's make it a, um, a priority of prayer that we pray for our nation. Um, and, you know, the thing about all the stuff that's going on around us is it doesn't change the truth of the Scripture Right? And it doesn't change the fact that Jesus Christ is alive and well. It doesn't change the fact that God is in control. And we just need to stay focused on that and on that truth. And, um, and really the ultimate thing is this, is what we're commanded and called to do as the church of Jesus Christ. Our number one priority is to love. Is to love people. And no, and no matter, yeah, go ahead. It's not our responsibility to point fingers or to, or to respond in hate. It's our responsibility to respond in love. You know, for years and years and years, the church has been known for what we're against. And we have the opportunity right now to be known for what we're for, and that's love. And I just want to encourage you as a church, let's not only pray for our nation, for our leaders, for the wisdom and the guidance, but let's pray for us as individuals that every single day we will respond in both words and actions of love in every single thing that we do. All right? Can you guys stand with us and we'll pray every single day? Thank you. Thank you. You don't have to stand now. I meant that like every day. I love the enthusiasm though. Those of you that stood, go ahead and stand and pray for everybody. Just kidding. All right, well, we started this new series last weekend called True North, and Dale started this thing off and did a fantastic job. And I want to tell you real quick, last weekend, we're going to celebrate this together, that 22 people gave their life to Jesus Christ last weekend. Absolutely amazing. And I haven't heard all the reports, but so far today, over 10 people have already given their life to Jesus, just today alone. God is doing something amazing, and um, man, our, our staff pastors are stepping up and doing an incredible job throughout this series, and we've got several more weeks to come, so don't miss a weekend, um, but this weekend, we have, you guys will all know him very, very well, but at our other campuses, you guys may not know Pastor Jonathan quite as well, um, but Pastor Jonathan Spuler has been with us for about four years now. He's been on our staff, and he is the campus pastor here at Malbus, um, and he is doing an outstanding job of leading this campus 
and leading you guys. And so I'm excited that everyone, our entire family, gets to hear him bring the word today in part two of True North. So if you would, stand on your feet and help me welcome Jonathan Spieler to the platform. Hey, before you're seated, before you're seated, hey, before you're seated, let's just do one of these. Go ahead, do it. I want to see you. All those watching. Okay, you can be seated now. That's just to kind of get that 4th of July funk off. <clears throat> Had to do that this morning to wake everyone up. Welcome. So glad. Hello. Hello, City Hope Church. Hello, all of the different campuses that are joining us, Mobile and Foley and uh, uh, Home in Prison. Uh, and also Bay Manette, so glad you guys are all with us this weekend. All those are online. Uh, I always want to take the opportunity to honor our pastor for this opportunity to speak before you. And uh, I ask that those that are here in this room and everyone that's watching from all of our campuses, our entire City Hope family, that we uh, pray for our pastor while he's on sabbatical. To honor him, the Bible says to put honor where honor is due. And so it's not flattery and it's not being highly complimentary or flowery. And the best way that we can honor him is to pray for him, that he and Miss Jerry come back from their sabbatical fired up, full of passion, full of vision for this next season of ministry. So while you're praying for uh, our country, also pray for them as well. And uh, we look forward to them coming back. If you have your Bibles or your devices, turn with me to Mark chapter 4, 5, and 6. We'll be looking at all three of those chapters, Mark chapter 4, 5, and 6. And then if you're advanced, you can go ahead and also turn to the book of Romans. We'll end there in Romans chapter 8. So Mark chapter 4, if you've got your Bible or your device, look there. If not, you can turn your attentions to the screen. And verse 35 reads this. As evening came... Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat, and they started out, leaving the crowds behind. But soon a fierce fierce storm came up, and high waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on his cushion. And the disciples woke him up, shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going going to drown? And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, saying, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. And in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake. A couple years ago, myself and some of the pastors here on staff had the great opportunity to go to Israel and visit some of our ministry partners there, and um, it's just a beautiful part of the world. And, um, and what's really especially beautiful in Israel is the northern part where the Sea of Galilee is, and if you've ever been there, you know it really is just a big lake nestled between some majestic mountains is this Sea of Galilee. And if you can, you're going to want to do everything possible to go on the trip that City Hope is taking in November with Pastor uh, to this part of the world. It will change your life, uh, and it's something that uh, you won't regret. So the disciples made it to the other side. And then in Mark chapter 6, verse 47, here's another boat ride. 
It says, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he, meaning Jesus, was alone on land. And he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. And he was about to pass them by. That doesn't strike anyone as funny? I think that's really funny. Okay, I guess not. Let's move on. Verse 49. He was about to pass them by, when, uh, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out because they saw him and were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them, saying, Take courage, chill out, don't worry, don't be afraid, it is I. And then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. In verse 52, it says, For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were hardened. How many of you have ever been on a road trip before? Raise your hand. Of course you have. We're Americans. We love our road trips. Uh, Already this summer, we have road tripped quite a bit. My family and I, coming in from Orlando this week, that seven-hour drive, but a, uh, about a month ago, my wife and I drove from here to Atlanta, and that was a great road trip because we had no kids with us. <laughs> Sorry, boys. But um, how many have ever taken a road trip with kids? Totally different, totally different. Um, but uh, in our years, we've taken a lot of road trips with our family, and, um, and last year around this time, we did a whole little Texas tour for a family wedding and a family reunion where we went up to Dallas and over at Amarillo and uh, down to Austin and back through Houston. And so it was a long road trip. And I have trained my kids that we don't stop for anything. You get a juice box like 30 minutes before we stop, and that is it because we ain't stopping for nothing. And that's a rule, and my kids know that. And Jenny says we dehydrate our kids on our road trips, but I don't care because we aren't stopping. Um, even when they were younger, we would put a little porta potty like right in the middle of the van, and for emergencies, they would unbuckle and use it and sit back down because, again, we ain't stopping. Um, <laughs> Another road trip is we went all the way up to see my family right outside of Philadelphia, and it was, we drove all the way through the night, and, and the next morning we were at my parents' house, and one of my boys came running up to me dancing, saying, Dad, do I need to use a, a, a bag here, or can I use a real bathroom? <laughs> so I have trained my kids. That's a true story. But of course, um, on long road trips, your kids... You probably even said this yourself, and uh, I'm sure you've heard this question come from the back row. They can't help themselves, really. I don't know if they have conventions where they get together and compare notes. Why does every kid ask the question, you know what it is, Dad, are we there yet? You're a smart boy, son. I know you are, but if you ask that question again while moving at 75 miles an hour... I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, Not until the car has stopped and it is in park and I open my door. Are you allowed to ask, are we there yet? And they really don't even know how good they have it, right? Because they have iPods and DVD players 
And, uh, and, and, you know, back in my day, it was the license plate game. Anyone? Okay. Uh, I spy with my little eye. That's as good as it gets um, on, on those road trips. But really, with, with a little patience, okay, I really know what they're asking when they ask, are we there yet? What they're really saying is, when they say, Dad, are we there yet? Is they're saying, Dad, I've watched, like, the Avenger movie twice now. I've played Flappy Birds and Mario Kart with my brother. I've even, like, drawn lines, international treaty lines in the back row between me and my sister for not the cross. I even took a nap, okay? But, Dad, really what they're saying is, I have done everything I know to do. How much longer, Dad, are we there yet? And all joking aside, in a room like this and those watching, I know that we've had those same conversations with our Heavenly Father, where we have asked, God, I, I know what you're asking me to do, but are we there yet? I've done everything I know to do. I've upped my prayer life like to like four minutes a day. <laughs> I've, I've done devotions like five times a day. I even did that little you version uh, thing and, and completed it and put it on Facebook that I completed my devotions. I haven't missed church in like six weeks. I tithed, but I'm worn out. And I'm wondering, God, I've done everything I know to do. Are we there yet? And so the question I have for you here today is, what are you supposed to do when you aren't where you used to be, but you aren't where you're supposed to be? You're in between things. You know you've stepped out, you've left the shore, you've gotten into the boat, but you haven't quite made it to the other side. You're in what I call the meantime. We like the highlights of a trip. We like the arrival. We like the start. We like the beginning where we're full of vision and passion and fired up about what God, about what God has asked us to do. We're full of faith holding on to that promise. We, we've heard that life-changing message, and we know that we'll never be the same again. The car's packed. We've got our snacks. We've got our iTunes playlist, and we're ready to go. But what happens when we haven't reached the other side yet? We're in between doing what we were told to do, get in the boat, and making it to the other side. And as time goes by, and you've done all that you know to do, you know you've asked the question, God, are we there yet? Maybe your question is way past, are we there yet? You're like the disciples of Mark chapter 4 with the water coming over the edge of the boat. You're way past, are we there yet? You're saying to yourself, God, am I even going to make it here? Or am I going down with this ship? D did I miss you when you said for me to get in the boat? Were you talking about another person or another boat? Because it doesn't look like I'm making it here. Or maybe it's not that bad. It's Mark chapter 6. And you're in the boat, and you are rowing, and you're somewhere in the middle. And the wind's against you, and you're tired, and you're worn out. And you're asking yourself, I just don't know how much longer I can go. 
The story of Mark chapter 6 is also referenced in John chapter 6, and it says they weren't even halfway there yet. But Jonathan, how much longer? I don't know. Only God knows. But what are you supposed to do when you aren't where you used to be, but you aren't quite where you're supposed to be, and you haven't made it yet? Where we know God's called us, but we haven't made it to the other side. Really, the first thing that I can tell you today about the meantime is that you can't do this alone. You aren't to do the meantime by yourself. You see, we as church folk, we're really good at answering the question, how you doing? What's going on? How's life? When asked how you doing, well, you know what, God's good. I, I didn't ask you that, I asked you how you doing. What's going on? Well, I'm just blessed. I know I'm blessed too. What's going on in your world? How's it going? And so the question really, you know, why are we so embarrassed about being in the meantime? Why don't we ever say when asked how's it going, you know what, I'm not where I used to be. But honestly, I, I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be. This happens a lot in fusion groups. You know, at the end of the night, for those of you that are in fusion groups, and we go around and we ask for prayer requests, and usually someone who's been around and been in church, when asked, do you have anything you need to pray about, they'll raise their hands and say, I have an unspoken. Come on, anyone? You guys know what I'm talking about? I grew up in church. I know all about the unspoken. The unspoken means you're in a mean time. The unspoken is, means... Uh, I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And then in that group, in that setting, you know it's probably the new guy. It usually is. He doesn't know any better. And you're going around the room, and his legs going, and his eyes are huge. And when it comes to his turn, do you have a, anything you need to pray about? Yes. Uh, I'm about to lose it. I cannot go home unless you pray with me right here, right now. My wife's about to leave me. I've got no money in the bank. My kids are driving me crazy. If you don't pray for me, I'm not going to make it. Maybe you haven't been in one of those groups before. <laughs> but when are we going to engage in authentic community? where it's okay to be that guy, where it's okay to say, I'm not where I'm supposed to be quite yet. We need each other. I'm going through stuff. You're going through stuff. I've talked to you as your pastor. You're messed up. That was a joke. <laughs> I'm messed up. And we need each other. But I serve a God who said to get into the boat, we're going to the other side. And I might not be there yet, but he's in the boat with me, and he told me to get in. We're going somewhere. When are we going to get there? I don't know. But you aren't to do it by yourself. You know, in those stories of Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 6, you've got to 
put yourself there and know that one of those disciples that wasn't a fisherman, like Matthew the tax collector or like Bartholomew, when the water was coming in and the, water, the boat was filling up with water, you know he had one leg over the edge, right? And he's like, if this boat's going down, I'm swimming for it here. And it probably took someone else to grab him by the shoulder and say, no, 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 you, you're not going anywhere. You've got to get in here. I'm not letting you go back. And you might need someone today that will do that for you, that says you aren't leaving. You told me what God told you that day. I know and I remember when you were fired up and you were pressing in and believing God for huge things and you've got one leg over the boat, I'm not letting you go. We need people like that when we're in the meantime. And there's nothing wrong about being in the middle of the lake. And this next month when we start talking about fusion groups again, you don't know what the future holds. You may need someone that will grab you by the shoulder when you've got one leg over the edge, make, about to make a swim for it that says, uh-uh, not on my watch. You're not going anywhere. He told you to get in. Stay in the boat. Why are we so ashamed that in some areas in our lives we haven't quite made it yet? I think it suggests that we believe that only the elite make it to the other side. And I think we're looking for some mathematical equation to get us there. If I pray like this, if I believe like that, if I, if I go to church like this, look at them. I think they've made it to the other side. What are they doing that I'm not doing? And when you think like that, and if you haven't arrived, shame comes with it. It says that I can't have this authentic relationship with other people because I can't tell them I'm in a meantime. I don't know where I am. I don't know how far I've got to go. I don't... I don't know and I don't think it's supposed to take this long. I think Jesus is asleep in my boat. And if you're wondering like the disciples did, God, don't you care that I feel like I'm even going to drown here? If you're not careful, that kind of thinking like that, you're not searching for a deeper relationship with Jesus. You're looking for the right formula to get you through. And when it doesn't happen in time and you haven't reached the other side, you think for some reason you're spiritually deficient in some way. And the problem is that you're looking for a solution or a secret rather than a savior. And to reassure you that making it to the other side is not for the spiritually elite, Look again at Mark chapter 6, verse 52, where it says, They didn't understand about the loaves and the fishes because their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand what Jesus had done just moments before their little three-hour tour. And their hearts were hardened. Now, if I'm Jesus and I'm in a boat full of people that don't get it, that doubt, that have a little bit of faith, and their hearts are hardened, I'm looking for a new crew. But not Jesus. Because in the very next verse, it says that they made, they made it to the other side. Those guys with hardened hearts made it. You see, the other side is your destiny. 
The other side is God's plan for your life. It's where there's peace and fulfillment and joy and freedom from living in his purpose. And remember, he wants you there because he's the one who told you to get in the boat. We're going somewhere. And he'll ensure that you make it there. And so you don't look for a formula, but you look to the guy that told you to get in. Because it's not what you get right, it's what he gets right that gets you to the other side. And so the question still remains, what do you do when you aren't where you used to be? But you aren't quite where you're supposed to be. You're somewhere out there. You're in the middle. Maybe not even in the middle. But you're wondering how much longer. Honestly, from these two stories in Mark, I only really see one thing that the disciples did, and it's not really something they did. Rather, it's something that they didn't do. They stayed in the boat. They didn't get out. Staying in the boat because he said get in the boat. Really staying in the boat is the only thing that I can guarantee that you'll ever make it to the other side. And my goodness, there's so many characters in the Bible that had to stay in the boat to see the dream that God gave them realized in their life, to see the vision and the promise that God had given them fully fulfilled. People like Abraham. Abraham said, you told me that I was going to be a father, but I'm old. Abraham, just stay in the boat. Moses said, you called me to deliver your kids, but he won't let them go. Moses, stay in the boat. Joseph said, you gave me a dream, but look at me now, I'm in prison. Joseph, just, just stay in the boat. David said, you anointed me king, but all I'm leading is a bunch of sheep and some grumpy men. David, stay in the boat. Jeremiah said, you told me to preach this message, but they won't listen, and now I'm depressed. Say it with me, stay in the boat. Peter said, you called me a rock, and, but I'm scared, and I know I've let you down. Peter, stay in the boat. Paul said, you called me to preach, and you knocked me off a horse and gave me a revelation, but I've got to stay in the desert for years. Yes, Paul, stay in the boat. You've got to know that Paul had a message, that he wanted to make up for lost time, that he wanted to redeem everything he did, and yet he had to stay in the boat for three years in the desert before he ever was sent out to start his first church. You told me to get in the boat. Are we there yet? Because I've done everything I know to do. Sometimes all you have to go on is his word to get in. That word can keep you in the boat in the storms of life when you're somewhere in the middle. Abraham left his hometown with just one word from God, just one promise, and it says that it was counted unto him as righteous because of his obedience to that one word. And sometimes all you have is that one word. So though you aren't where you used to be, but you know you aren't where you're supposed to be, stay in the boat because he told you to get in, that you're going somewhere. And it's the best place to be because he's right there with you. You see, there's areas in my life where I've reached the other side to, 
actually see God's promise fulfilled. And that's a great day. It's a wonderful, blessed day to see God's promise answered. But there's still areas in my life where I'm somewhere in the middle. There's been seasons of my life where I've stepped out in faith only to be buffeted by the wind and the waves just for it to take a little bit longer than I thought. And for it to be a little bit harder than when I initially had that passion and that fire to step out and do something bold and believe God for something big. And in those storms after launching out into the unknown, for what God has for me, most times it was never as easy as I thought. Most times it took a lot longer than I thought. But looking back, it was the most precious, most beautiful season of faith in my life. Because the journey into the unknown is precious. And every next class that I teach here at the Malbus campus, and for those of you that have gone through that class and then the other campuses have gone through the next class, you know we have a section in there about transitions and how to transition in a healthy way. And each and every month I tell my story without really going into detail about stepping out about believing God for big things, about transitioning from one place that God has for me into another place. And when we step out in faith, many times those storms come and we feel like we've lost our true north. And maybe you've heard me share this in that next class, but sometimes those storms in our lives, when we're transitioning and stepping out and believing God for something big, sometimes those bad things that come into our life, even to good people that step out in boldness and faith, those storms and those delays come sometimes as a consequence of our own choice. Where we get off track, where we get distracted, where we start looking for a shortcut to get to the other side, and we make choices that bring about those delays. Sometimes those delays come into our life not because of our choices, but because of the people around us and what they choose and how it affects our lives. We didn't choose it, but someone else did, and it hurts, and it knocked us down and maybe even knocked us out. And maybe that's you here today. That's why you feel like you're somewhere out there in the middle because of what someone else did to you or said to you or how it hurts you. And you just don't have the strength to keep on rowing. But there's a third reason why many times the storms and the delays come into our lives, and it's because there's an enemy that wants to keep you from every dream and every vision and every potential promise that God placed in your life. And that enemy wants to come and steal, kill, and destroy all of that. But that's where this life verse comes in. My life verse. And it's found in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and it reads this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to 
to his purpose for them. This is what's important here to me. We know that he causes what? He doesn't cause the delay. He doesn't cause the storm. Sometimes that comes because of our choices. Sometimes that comes because of someone else's choice. Sometimes those delays come because there's an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God is promising you. But he causes everything to work out for your good. In other words, he takes our mistakes and he takes the hurts of other people and he takes the schemes of the enemy and he turns them around for our good and his glory. No, he doesn't cause the delay. He causes everything to work out for good to those that love him and are called to his purpose, to those that are getting in the boat, called to his purpose, to have their course charted to the other side, believing him to take you there. Not those looking for the quickest route or the easiest way out or the shortcut or the formula or the fast answer to those that love him and are called to that purpose. Those looking to the captain saying, only you can get me through this. Only you can get me to the other side. Only you can get me out of this storm. And that's why once you make it to the other side, Despite how long it takes, despite how hard the journey, you'll look back at that journey with fondness. You'll see the beauty in the storm because you'll see his faithfulness and his goodness and his redemptive power. Taking our messes, taking what other people do to us, taking what the enemy tries to do to us and turning it around for our good and his glory. Many of you are hearing this message today and you're believing God for some big things. Areas where you have stepped out in faith after hearing what you know to be God's word. You're trying to be obedient to that word, but you're somewhere in the middle. You're not where you used to be, but you know you're not where you're supposed to be. And you're waiting for breakthrough and you're waiting for healing and you're waiting for that freedom and you're waiting to experience the deliverance of that hurt or that disappointment or that failure. And you're in the boat. And you're saying, God, are we there yet? But when that day comes that you reach the other side, just like the disciples and Jesus, you'll look back at that boat ride with journey, with, with joy. Because it's in that journey when you step out in obedience and faith and you encounter the storms and the winds are against you and you tried everything that you can do on your own to get there, that you see a side of God that you couldn't see any other way. The season of the meantime is where you truly learn who God is. It's not some trite Christian statement. That's not some poster on a wall anymore. But you know who God is to you. You've experienced an aspect of him that you had never seen before. When you reach the other side, you're grateful to know him in that way. You see, the disciples, even them, they didn't know who they were getting in the boat with. They thought they knew Jesus. 
In that very same chapter of Mark chapter 4, they had seen him heal the sick and cast out demons and deliver people from great oppression and then heard him do some amazing teachings that blew their mind. In Mark chapter 6, right before that boat ride, they had seen him feed 5,000 people with just a small meal. They watched him walk on water. And yet those very same guys doubted and their hearts were hardened and they forgot who they were in the boat with. And they said, teacher, don't you care that we're going down? They had seen him do some amazing stuff. But it's when he calmed the storm that they looked at each other and said, who is this guy? That even the wind and the waves listen to what he says. When he walked on water and got into the boat and the winds calmed down, it says they were amazed. They had seen him do some really cool things. And though they hadn't reached their destination on their journey along the way, they experienced a Jesus that they had never seen before. And it all happens in the meantime. When are we going to give up and search for a Savior who's in the boat with us? When are we going to stop rowing on our own strength? And look for what God wants to reveal to us in the journey. In the meantime, stay in the boat. And watch God reveal himself to a way, in a way that you've never seen before because he loves opportunities to do just that. To show up. And to show himself to you in a way that he can't in any other season of your life. To say, I know you're my Savior, and I know all the verses about my healing, but now I know you're my healer. Now I know you're my provider. Now I know you're my defender. Now I know you're my redeemer because you've cleaned up my mess. Now I know you're my peace because you've calmed the storm. And when you make it to the other side, you'll truly know that indeed he is faithful. So what do you do in the meantime? God, are we there yet? Because I'm tired. Because I'm scared. Don't you care how much longer? God, I, I know we aren't there yet. But I've done everything I know to do. Ephesians puts it this way. When you put on his armor, you know the full armor of God. You've heard it taught before. When you have his truth, when you are righteous in his obedience, when you're looking for solid footing in his peace, when you're using the faith of his word to shield you from doubting that you'll ever make it, when you know he's your salvation and you're claiming his word with your mouth, Ephesians verse 6, 10 says this, Finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on that armor. So that when the day of evil comes, when the wind is against you and you aren't going anywhere, when the waves are crashing over and you think you're going down with the ship, verse 13 says, do that so that you may be able to stand your ground, so that you may be able to stay in the boat. And after you've done everything you know to do, God, I have done everything I know. I'm tired, I'm scared, I'm worn out. 
Ephesians says, when you've done everything you know to do, just stand. Just stand. Just stay in the boat. And watch Jesus show you something about himself that you can only see in the meantime. I want to pray for you. You bow your heads and close your eyes. All those at the other campuses, please do the same. Dear Jesus, I know in a room like this and in front of this many people that there are many people in the meantime. Lord, that there's people that have stepped out and believed you for big things. Maybe, Lord, by your spirit as this message has gone on, people were reminded of promises and dreams and visions that you place in their hearts long ago. And they've forgotten. And they've laid dormant for so long. Lord, I pray that that's been stirred up again. For them to press in and lean in and look to you as their captain to get you there. Lord, for those that are here and are tired and worn out, maybe to those that are hurt, to those that have failed, Lord, I pray that this week you bring someone into their life that would pull them back in the boat. Lord, people that would encourage them, people that would remind them of the day that they were full of that fire and passion to live for you, to step out in boldness, to, to reach for that dream. I pray that that's rekindled, and I pray that there's God appointments this week for those people needing that encouragement. Lord, I pray for the boldness and the courage just to stay in the boat, to look to you as the captain, charting a course, believing you to get us to the other side. In Jesus' name, amen. I gotta ask you one more thing if you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I wanna take the opportunity to ask every single person across all of our campuses, if you heard this message today and you know you're in the middle of a mess, you're in the middle of a storm, and you know you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, that you've never asked him to be the captain of your boat and, and you've sailed off and you've done it in your own strength, in your own way, trying to get to your own destination, to find your own peace, your own fulfillment, your own joy, and your life's a mess and you know it and you know God knows it. I want to take an opportunity and ask those of you here today, if that's you, will you slip up your hand, say, Jonathan, pray for me. I need to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. Will you do that today? Will you just slip up that hand? Yeah, I see one, two, three, four, five. Raise it up high. I want to pray for you. All across this room and, and all of our campuses, will you pray this out loud, every single one, whether you raise your hand or not, say, Dear Jesus, thank you for your love.
Thank you that you've come to this earth for me. Today, I accept that love. And I believe in my heart, and I confess with my mouth that you are the Lord of my life. I make you the captain of my ship today. And I will follow you the rest of my days. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Can we give the Lord a hand clap for all those hands?